Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. You are listening to the Drunken UX Podcast. This is episode number 117 for June 20th, 2022. I am your host, Michael Feenan. Oh, <laughs> I'm your other other host, Aaron. You, you sound you know uh, winded. I No, I, I had a, a weird burp. Tequila burp? Tequila burp. Moment. Tequila burp. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, you get you get the <laughs> gas bubbles out of you, folks. You are listening to the Drunken UX Podcast, and this week we are going to be going over three quick topics where, hey, guess what? IE's dead. We're going to celebrate. We're going to talk about features in WordPress <laughs> 6, and we're going to talk about some pretty freaking cool uh, CSS features that you probably aren't using. Um, and I know that that's like one of those sort of uh, uh, clickbaity kind of subjects, but uh, I was looking through the article, and it's like, man... My brain melted on a couple of them. They were so cool, and so uh, we're gonna we're gonna spice up your CSS with some suggestions. Rather, we're hey, not uh, Adrian who wrote the article, will, but you'll get the idea. But bonus topic: Have you played with Dolly? Oh at yes. All? Oh 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 my yes. yes. But but have you have you played? Have you had access to anyone that has access to like the real Dolly and not just Dolly? Me? I I don't think so. Um, I, I've been playing around with Dolly Mini myself and have had been having. I didn't fun realize with it. there was a, another but, um, one. I guess. Yeah, you have to sign up for the wait list. I'm I'm still waiting. I um my friend just got access and he said it was like eight weeks ago that he applied. Um, so they're slowly rolling it out to people, but it's like higher fidelity and like the pictures are like better quality. Um, but man, we've had so much fun with it. My favorite one that he did for me today was um. Domo-kun being served tea by uh, Cute Cthulhu, and it is – hold on. I'm going to send you a, the picture, and we can put that's this in the yeah, channel or something. I'll but... make it the, uh, the the background banner. How's that sound? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great. Uh, it's really cool, though. Um, and just, like, ev- everything that I've seen come out of this has been, like, stupendous. And I know we had that whole thing with the Google Lambda stuff, yeah, you yeah. know, which is, like, okay, whatever. But like, if if anything is well, what was the like, Google product that they had there for a while? Like, was it Deep Dream or 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 Deep Mind, where you could like just send it a picture and they just like did stuff to it? Yeah, <laughs> it looked it looked like they fed the computer mushrooms or my, something. My favorite dolly that I've done so far is a beautiful baby made out of ground beef, and I wow. I was I was pretty thrilled I, with I the just outcome. Holy crap. Can you see it? Right? Holy crap. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I was I was blown away. Um Alright. That that was like probably the weirdest one that I've asked for. Um there was one where my friend had asked put like just a series of letters and numbers, just like a long alphanumeric string. And then it came up with like six strange images, but one of them showed somebody with a a bottle of a soft drink and the label said Kunger Q U N G E R, but it was printed onto the label in a way that it looked like it was a real label. Like it had the right lighting. It had the right like bending and everything. Um, And so that led to a whole thing afterwards of like, 
oh, what are the various flavors of conger? And then it showed like a bunch of different drinks. And then I asked for um, a very lonely deer drinking its last bottle of conger soft drink. And I will send you that picture. Uh, this is this is what happens when the Google AI becomes sentient, right, and starts running rampant. We put it to use making the dumbest pictures we can possibly come up with. Uh, this is ultimately why AI will wipe out humanity. Not because we are a threat to ourselves or the planet, because they think we're pathetic. Uh, hey, while he's sharing those, I'm going to go ahead and dive into what I'm drinking real fast, uh, just because that's the kind of uh, boy I am. I've got uh, I'm I'm still on my kick of like new stuff that uh I picked up a while back. This is the Dalmore Portwood Reserve. Um Ooh. it's very nice. It's very sweet um for obvious reasons. Uh it's got a lot going on in like the sort of rosy caramel type flavor. Um gingerbread. Mm. As I taste again, uh there's like a a triscuity kind of flavor to it, which that, okay. that might come across a little weird. But if you think about like the grain, you know, uh, I think about sort of the the graininess, maltiness that kind of comes through, kind of like a, a triscuit, something weedy. Um, no, I like this uh, quite a bit. I don't know much about it. It's not age statemented, so I'm sure it's a blend. They're probably doing uh, like a, a standard bottle and then a port uh, barrel and blending them together i'm guessing but uh very mm-hmm. nice a uh, dalmore i like in general dalmore makes one of my all-time favorite bottles um what uh what say you okay good so, sir <laughs> uh i've got a, a casadori sour i i would have called this a margarita but um when we had um it's not my first one so my uh thinking is not oh, so good boy. um <laughs> We are talking about IE, so I had to prepare myself. Um, I'm I'm so sorry. I can't remember her name, but she corrected me that it's not a margarita. It's a tequila sour. Um, okay, so on on our channel. Um, oh, wait, it, actually, here's another good one. You know what you want to do? This is a good excuse to tell everybody, hey, drop by drunkenux.com slash discord. Um, Aaron, while you're doing all this, why don't you paste all of these into... Uh, Oh yeah, just I can into do that. the channel and and uh, everybody can go in and join our Discord, and you'll be able to see all these fun pictures. I'll throw I'll throw my ground beef babies in there too. Um, can we talk about IE before uh, things get yeah, real weird? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Hey everybody. Um, IE's dead. Yay! Long live IE. Good riddance. Uh, of course, <laughs> Edge is still around, so it's not in a way it's not really going anywhere. It's just. I believe the difference is that Edge is based on WebKit, whereas IE was based on the Trident. Trident. It, it wasn't originally. When Edge first launched, it didn't use WebKit. That was a change that was made a couple versions mm. into Edge too. So it's right. possible. Yeah, Edge was old versions. Of Edge, Edge was initially like they were trying to rebrand IE, basically. Yeah. Right? Wasn't that the thing? Well, yeah. I mean, they had a marketing problem with it. People hated IE. <laughs> Developers, in particular, hated IE. Um, Mm. You know, for as much as we used to complain about IE6, and then we complained about IE7, yeah. and then we complained about IE8, um, and then 9, uh, then 10, oh yes, and 11. <laughs> so, like, the very first graphical web browser was NCSA's Mosaic, Mosaic browser. Yeah. And I, 
I remember using this at my dad's house when I was growing up. Every, every once in a while, you'll see that screen, that classic screenshot, you know, pop up somewhere mm-hmm. in a talk or something. It had a, a funky little like icon. And then shortly after that, Netscape 1.0, where the, the logo in the, the top right, which would, it was this giant blocky N and it would pulsate, like the bevel would pulsate in and out as it was loading a page. Um, you know, there there are sure, folks who have sure. like the GameCube, the Nintendo GameCube, like startup sound yeah. burned into their memory, or the Game Boy startup yeah. sound. That damn in that little animated <laughs> GIF in is burned into my memory. So, well, but Netscape 2.0, which uh, was when they introduced frames in the HTML two in HTML 2.0 specification, they introduced frames. And that's when Netscape 2 came out. And then that one, I like that one. That was probably my favorite Netscape icon, which had like the Times New Roman N, or at least it was a serif font. And and it was like sitting kind of like astride a planet with like a star field background. And the planet was like a very dark blue color. And then uh, as the page loaded, it would like... Didn't it have the ship, the, the ship steering wheel? No, that was Netscape was that 3.0, okay. also codenamed Navigator. Oh, yes, correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so NCSA's Mosaic was, if I recall, um, the product that Microsoft bought and then transformed into Internet Explorer. Um, and then, all right, so <laughs> I'm going to try not to be a huge asshole here, <laughs> but like... You will fail. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like, I don't think anybody would be surprised, but... Um, the the joke that I see going around the most is about like how IE was like the number one installer for the Chrome web browser, which like okay, haha, funny, you know, also true. Um, but I I think that's like that's the wrong. I think that gives Microsoft a pass on the ways that the IE browser like was kind of a shitty thing. Um. And what I mean specifically is like IE was the cornerstone of the antitrust case against Microsoft in the late nineties. Like that was the whole thing. They were getting sued for antitrust because they embedded, they, they integrated their web browser. Basically like IE was also the file explorer. It was double doing double duty, um, which led to a number of security problems. I should add oh, because God. they decided to yeah. do that. But but because they tied them together, Microsoft was saying that like, oh well, you know, they're this they have to be the same. We can't separate these out. And then that became like an uh uh antitrust like anti competitive thing that they did. Um but also like with IE they were they were trying to kind of like privatize the web, like the to be like the only browser. So that everything would have to go through IE, and I cannot even imagine what kind of fresh hell that would be. Uh, but I do remember that IE had a market penetration of like like ninety plus percent or something shortly after they killed Netscape um, with their like antitrust stuff. Even though they lost, like it's still like Netscape couldn't um, couldn't handle it. And then eventually, I think Netscape got sort of reborn. It, they they kind of like gutted it and then rebuilt it as Firefox, like the Mozilla Foundation. It, I knew it grew from the ashes of Netscape, at least the Gecko browser did. Yeah, um, by uh, uh, ninety nine or so, uh, IE passed mm-hmm. like fifty percent of market share. Yeah, um, 
and by 2000, Netscape had dropped below 20%. Um, yeah. And, and like, I, I want to be clear that like Netscape was like the browser prior, prior to windows 95 launching with internet Explorer. Netscape was like the web browser that everyone used. It was free. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty sure they had like both Mac and windows versions. Um, I, I wasn't using a Mac at the time, so I don't remember. Yeah, and that goes way back but, too. Um, yeah, the IE yeah. peaked around 2003. That was about the time they hit yeah. that 95% mark. Yeah, and, and that time period, that was about, that was when I was professionally starting with, like, as a web developer, I was getting paid to do it. And being a web developer during that period when you had to deal with IE6 was just, like, it was hell. It It was... You would anybody had to do any kind of web design with CSS and or HTML, um, you know, you would design something, it would look great, and then it'd be like, oh, I have to test it in IE6, yeah. and then you do that, and then it's all fucked up. And there were different ways that we would do to get around this, and the the one that was like recommended by most people and was pretty effective was to do like a conditional statement, was like a comment in your the head where you would do your regular CSS and you have a separate IE hacks file. And then that would like provide all the accommodations necessary so that it would at least display correct, like the layout would look right. But even with those accommodations, like things like transparent pings were not oh, um, yeah, the- supported by default. You had to use a special DirectX filter that using a CSS property that was only available on Internet Explorer. Uh, and then that was how you get transparent pings and it even then it looked shitty. even the uh the, um, the idea of like the conditional comments as a way of gating uh ie functionality in a in a crazy way that was sort of microsoft's way of saying yeah we know our browser sucks because the reason it yeah. worked was because you put the the styles or the javascript that you needed inside these html code comments with some special formatting all the other browsers mm-hmm. would ignore it why because it was an HTML con- a comment, and you ignore HTML comments. Yeah. But in IE, they put in the special uh, code to be like, well, yeah, comments should be ignored, but if you want to use it as a way of passing in some directives, we're going to support that too. So they mm-hmm. were. it was really a hacky workaround that they plugged in there to be yeah. like, yeah, we know our stuff sucks, so here's a way to work around it. <laughs> and that was, that was insane. Everyone had their, like their own ways like there was different css tricks that you could do that would like make your css parse differently in ie versus in other browsers and some of them were pretty creative but it's just like it's a dangerous path to go down because you're like intentionally munging your um your css for the sake of like having it display correctly in one browser which refuses to like like get with the program and use the same kind of browsering rendering that every other browser is using. And, and that's doesn't even to mention the security aspect of IE with ActiveX, which, okay, if you aren't familiar with this, ActiveX was, um, so, okay, so DirectX was an API library that you could use in your programming. Like if you're writing C++ games or something, DirectX was a Microsoft library that gave you direct access to like hardware stuff so that it would like, uh, like render or like process. And and it gave you a common API you could use for your games. Yeah. Yes. Um, ActiveX was 
similar in the sense that it was a library that you could use in your browser that would give you access to OS level functions. And I'd like you to just think for a moment about why that might be a security problem. <laughs> this is this is there's such an ex- huge explosion of malware that was like really like fucking up people's computers. And it was because of ActiveX being enabled. And they they sunsetted that at some point. I want to say it was like between six and seven, maybe, or definitely by eight. Um, but God, it was it was so terrible. Um, and then, and then also there's the whole thing of like people who would have web applications built in ASP and they would have to use an old version of IE because the newer versions didn't support the version of ASP they were using and they couldn't afford to pay a developer to rebuild their app in a newer version of ASP. So these, there were like businesses and other like firms like I know people who have worked at these places where they were stuck using IE6, even though IE8 was out and they could not upgrade it because they couldn't, They like this was a mission critical application. And even though it was a web application, because it used so much stuff that was proprietary to Microsoft, you like, you had to use this old browser that was like even deprecated by Microsoft themselves. And so, like, I think, like, what's underneath all of this for me is, like, when it going back to the comment I made earlier about how they were trying to privatize the web is they would make all this proprietary stuff because, as a company, they just have so much hubris about thinking they're the smartest people in the room. And they they make these features and the other way that they present their products, it's it doesn't play with like the world of open source. Like they were antithetically against open source as a concept. Um, but that means that they were kind of like um, ossifying their program, like all of their stuff that they would build. And so the web applications and everything would be just like kind of stuck in really? time. It's gotten better. Like IE8 was a significant improvement, um, both in the browser rendering and also in its features and whatnot. But I mean, by that time, Chrome was starting to pick up. Chrome was shiny and new and fast at that time. This is before that's, Google that, added. That's right around 09. Chrome <laughs> Chrome launched yeah. in oh, either late 08 or early 09. By that point, IE had dropped below 70%. Firefox was at like 27% yeah. and climbing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was like the race was on by that point. Um, yeah. Just, the Opera browser was out. And then, of course, Safari. Safari was like Apple's version of Internet Explorer. The difference was that Apple didn't have the market share penetration yeah. that Microsoft. Did. And for whatever reason, by 2012, Chrome just ate Firefox alive um, at the expense yeah. of IE. Chrome was Chrome was fast. Chrome then. was very fast. Chrome yeah. was really fast. The, the, I've noticed that over the years, this sort of back and forth between Chrome and Firefox over like mm-hmm. who's handling plugins and sandboxing better and resources better. And it's, yeah. and for a long time it was uh, Chrome. Then it was back to Firefox. Then it was back to Chrome. Now mm-hmm. I'm not even really sure which one I should trust more as far as performance goes, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I actually have, I use both. Um, I have actually have both browsers open on my desktop right now. Um, I have Firefox set as my default browser, but I also just ref- reflexively use Chrome. Um, so, 
I don't know. Anyways, I, I I'll that ends my rant. But I I just every time I see a, a a link or something, someone talking about IE being retired, I'm like, good fucking riddance. Like, I don't <laughs> let the door hit your ass on the way out. I don't care. Just go away. Don't come back. We hate you. You know, I just really have zero love or respect for Internet Explorer as a browser. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Fuck that software. Tell me how you really feel later. Uh, yeah, so IE's dead. Um, Edge is the new hotness. Edge is mostly Firefox at this point. Uh, or Chrome, sorry. It uses WebKit, right? Do-up. Does it, it uses yeah, yeah, WebKit, I, I make Chrome, it? not Firefox. We're talking about my, that. My brain went two different yeah. directions there. Um, yeah. So in in a way, Edge is just Chrome with different Chrome, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> and it's probably still is the number using, one way Chrome gets downloaded. <laughs> is it is it built on Chromium? Like the Chromium engine? Like early in 2020, um, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they adopted Chromium. Um Let's all just let's all forget about it. Well, let's not forget about it. Let's all no. You gotta yeah. You gotta learn from like, the history. Uh, let's not repeat yeah, the mistakes yeah. of the past. How about that? Yes, I like. Let's that. not repeat those mistakes. Learn from that. Work towards a better, more browser consistent future. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody been bid a fond farewell to the thorn that was in our side. It's kind of like one of those, you know. When you've had like a, a nagging backache or something for a while, then you go to the chiropractor and he pops it and you feel better and you're just mm-hmm. like, man, that feels great. But at the same time, I've been so used to the pain that I don't know what to do without it. <laughs> yeah. let, let us know how you're celebrating <laughs> the, the, the IE sick or IE death. Um, are you having a wake? Are you going to mourn? The fact that I've, I, I've ranted for... Uh, like 20 yeah, yeah. minutes now on this topic is it is yeah. it time here uh, is it time so, for me to hit the bell gong <laughs> sorry <laughs> oh let's continue please <laughs> Okay, over at 20i.com, we have an article by Matty Osman who uh, wrote up a a quick kind of little deal on what's new in WordPress 6. Um, Now, WordPress 6 dropped uh, here recently, not quite a month ago, a couple weeks ago. Um, So we're a little behind on this, but it was the first chance I had to slot it in. and I wanted to kind of go through some of these new feature changes because WordPress 6 is a pretty big update. Um, it features a lot of stuff that I think is important to their overall plan and strategy. And there's a couple things worth certainly calling out and just kind of going over. So I'm just going to use uh, Maddie's bullet points here. Um, so the release was May 24th, 2022. So that was, yeah, right at maybe three weeks ago, we'll call it. Um of the things, the first thing to call out is global style variations. Now, this is kind of neat in that it allows you to ship a template, you know, a, a theme that includes many different variations on presentation. And the best comparison I have to this is, like, you can now CSS Zen Garden your themes just by including different uh 
uh, different properties and stuff in your theme.json file. So, yeah, so you can have different fonts, different, you know, paddings, colors, you know, whatever you want. And the whole idea is you can go in there and just by one click inside the control panel, you can automatically select between any one of a number of different themes for the template that the template author created. So... Okay, that's really it's, fucking cool. And you know what it reminds me of is I think it was Avada, if my memory is right, that mm-hmm. like when if you went and bought Avada and loaded it on your right. site, as soon as you installed it, one of the things you could do is install one of a bunch of like pre-built sort of canned sites. Now this was all proprietary, like it mm-hmm. downloaded stuff from them and all of this. But the idea was, hey, you have this really flexible template that's almost more of a template framework and by telling us like what kind of site you have and what colors you want and everything we'll preload a bunch of stuff in that's still using hmm. avada um okay so this is kind of a riff on that so if you built a theme you could invite other people to contribute their own i'm using theme and template a little interchangeably here and that's just my dumb brain mm-hmm. if you build a template you could invite other people to submit themes that you could merge in that could be available then when people download your template files. And so one click and it might be a serif uh, type layout with blues and greens. You click another one and it's all sans serif with whites and reds and yellows. Um, you know, maybe the layout of things move around a little bit because of that. You know, it's it's kind of up to you with no real limitation in terms of, you know, whatever you can do with your CSS, basically. Um, so that it's pretty, I mean, it's neat. I like it because it definitely gives you a little more flexibility in releasing something in a way that makes it really easy to switch and adjust, so to speak, into like different, okay, different deals. Um, and certainly others like fusion, um, uh, uh, salient is the, I guess what I'm thinking of salient, I think came with all the fusion builder stuff. And, like, it shipped with a similar kind of, like, go into your theme settings and you could pick one of, like, several different color themes or whatever and set fonts for all your things. But now it's just a, you know, a root-level feature. So it's something to look at. It's not hard to make a theme. Um, Like I say, it's just now as things are moving more and more JavaScript-y, they have this theme.json file that lets you, you know, list out all kinds of properties for your template. Um, and so you can just define everything that you need there in terms of your fonts, in terms of your layout, in terms of, you know, colors, things like that. So, uh, next on the list, new blocks, this one, I I mean, I don't really know what to tell you about this. The other, it's another feature release. So they've released some new blocks. There's a read more block, a post author biography block. Um, there's comment query loop. There's the, the one that I think is much more interesting is block locking though which wait comment query yeah yeah so it's basically it's a block that lets you loop queries or i'm sorry loop loop comments um on a given page so it's it is what it sounds like it just makes it easier to include comments on something um okay but no the block locking is sort of the the new thing, though, that comes along with all of this, it's a new control modal. And what it lets you do is, I mean, what it says, lock blocks. You can disable movement. Mm-hmm. You can disable removal. 
you could kind of do this with block themes originally, but it wasn't very flexible and you had to do it all in code. Like you, you had to do it in block theme setup, which was all uh, raw code stuff. But now it's just an option what, you can check. What's the purpose of that? Is it yeah. like, is it for, for like an editor to say like, okay, these blocks have to be in this configuration and you can't change them when you're doing it contributing. Or is it like for that's the theme level for someone who's providing you a theme say like oh you have to include our it, like it could, well yeah i think it could go either way really depending on the implementation but mm. yeah the, the real meaning is behind you know how let's say we're doing something like case studies or let's no let's use us as an example that's mm. probably the, the shortcut sure you have a podcast website right and so you have a wait i do you have a custom post I type have a podcast and that's yeah. for your podcast episodes now Okay. There are certain. It sounds so funny. I know, right? I think that's why yeah. this will work well. Uh, yeah. There are certain things about a podcast episode that represent, let's call it a property of the post. So that might be something like a link to the MP3 file, right? Um, that might be a, a link to a transcript file. That might be a link to cover art. Um, things like this that are sort of abstract that are going to be displayed, possibly queried and shown somewhere. But if you look at like the Drunken UX site and you go to the show notes, you'll see that we have a really consistent layout. There's an introductory paragraph. Then there is a list of uh, the resource links. Then there is a section for the transcript. And those things are not things that I ever call out elsewhere that I need like a field for, but I want to make sure my layout doesn't get screwed up. So I built a block template for us that has headline, intro blurb, the uh, the more link, then the resource links, then the transcript section. And so those things can't be, I think they can be removed, but I think I made it so you can't uh, like move them around necessarily. Um, but I had to do all that in code. It's in P- actual PHP code when I wrote the block theme for, for that post type. Mm-hmm. This now lets you just set that in the UI um, without needing to go through a bunch of extra code. So that's pretty cool. That's, uh, that's going to make it a lot easier, I think, for people to set up block themes, to set up you know look and feel of items in such a way that when you have custom things... You can predefine kind of a layout of blocks that will then retain its layout and its design. And and mm-hmm. this will come up actually here in just a moment again um, in a slightly different context. Um, they've done improvements to a lot of existing blocks. There's nothing there that's probably going to knock your socks off, I think. Um, better use of featured images... Um, you can now highlight text across blocks as opposed to only being able to do it inside of one. Um, there's better support for the query loop block, which is similar to that comment loop block. This just lets you loop through a query oh, yeah. um, and display the stuff. Oh, that's cool. It says add dimensions to featured images, show custom taxonomies in the filter panel, and support filtering by multiple yeah. authors. Just Yeah, just, cool. just better. You know, it's not yeah. anything else. Um but here's where things get I this is this is the one where I'm like, this is cool. This is also Okay, this all right, hold on. I, I've literally not looked at this ever until right now. So the title is Pattern Creator. And I'm like, 
All right. What's yeah. this about? I have no idea. I don't know what this says. Tell so, me. You see the link there to the pattern directory. Go yes. for it. Hit it. Click it. You know okay. there's a theme gallery. Right, you I'm know there's a plugin gallery. Now there's a patterns yeah, yeah, gallery. Yeah. Oh wait, hold on. Okay, so just looking at this, are these like little like modules that you can like throw into let's say like a set of blocks you throw into your theme and then it's like 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 a well, I guess pattern is a good descriptor, but like like a recipe. I, I think for, recipe is a good word in this case. Yeah. What yeah, because what it is is people can go in and there's a pattern creator, which is just a front end Gutenberg editor that you can go in. You have access to all the core blocks, and it lets you save a mm-hmm. grouping of blocks that is a okay, thing. If if WordPress wasn't already using the word template to refer to things, I would call these templates. Yeah, these these are think, templates for yeah. small items. So in my case, okay. I like the this word is patterns cool. because I usually use patterns to talk about like like sure. component level type functionality, which is what a lot of this is. Yeah, yeah. This is like like a like a component of components. Like they're taking a few different smaller things and then assembling them together. But it's not like a full on theme page yeah. or something. It's like a part of and the page. and the idea is this these is should work anywhere in any theme because they're using all core blocks and everything. And now here's here's what I don't like. And while I talk, what I, here okay. I want you to do something. Okay. Pick one. It doesn't matter which one. Just pick one and hit the copy button. Oh, okay. And then paste that into Notepad or something, and look at what it's copying. Um, okay. So, hold on. all right, I picked one, and then what it, do I do with it? Copy. Yeah. Pattern, copy it, and then just okay. put it in. Open Notepad. Open VS Code. Open anything that you want, and then just paste it in there. I don't. I don't. I don't have either of those programs. I found one though. Okay. All right, so what I see is a whole bunch of divs. Uh, it looks like WordPress code. Um, I see some some DSL comment mm-hmm. stuff. WP colon yep. image is that like a is that, that a thing? That's now? how WordPress stores block information in post data. So that, oh, that's interesting. They're not using RDF or anything. They're using it's, yeah, it's a proprietary. This, this goes back to our our conversation earlier about IE yeah. conditionals. <laughs> Luckily, that never okay, – you don't see that um, on the front end. Like when the page renders, oh. you don't see any of that. All right. Look, I – okay. I'm seeing like closing tags like slash WP colon image in a comment and then like WP colon heading. I don't like this. I don't like what WordPress is I don't doing either. here. No. Please make it yeah, stop. That That's yeah. my thing. Like I like the idea behind the pattern gallery. I do not like the execution of it. I don't like that it's literally just you copying a, a giant blob of block markup and pasting what? it into a page. Why didn't they like if it's, if this code is only meant to be used in WordPress? Why aren't they using web components and defining like WP dash paragraph? Is that why oh my your god? Mind I'm sitting my, here cheering. You absolutely <laughs> read my mind on that. Michael is like emphatically like pumping yes. his fist. No, I'm saying those you words. literally. <laughs> took the words out of me. It's like, I'm, I don't know why we don't have some kind of cool, <laughs> slick, simple web component, web component integration where it's like, call it something like WP block pattern and give it yeah. a property of something like ID equals whatever and plop that yeah. in the page and then have WordPress go, oh, you need this thing and it'll just render it into your backend then. 
Like, we're already doing all of this JavaScript stuff with WordPress now. Uh, Web components are not a far reach in that situation. Um, I, we honestly, like, to our dear listeners, that was not planned at all. That was 100%, like, on the fly. We're just, this is what you get after five years of podcasting. No, (laughs) that's the thing. So I, I like what they're doing. I like the idea of what they're doing. I don't like how it's being done. I'm I'm tweeting at them right now. Oh, good. It says, why you know web component? <laughs> well, while you uh, get uh, Matt Mulleweg on our, <laughs> on our butts, um, <laughs> visual theme builder and additional template types. Um, Every, oh, hold on. For what it's worth, like, I know I'm being critical, but I think it's a really cool idea. Like, I, they, they came up with a cool thing there and, like, you know, applause to them for that, but... On, it's guys. it's a good evolution of the block editor. Like yeah. having the block yes. editor and then saying, "Hey, you know what? Other people are already building super cool stuff with our blocks. Why yeah. don't we make it easy for them to share those things?" Like again, I no, 100%. I absolutely yeah. applaud like the idea behind it. I just wish the implementation was yeah. a little cleaner. Um we have two more here. One is visual theme builder and additional template types. These are both pretty easy. New template types, such as author, category, date, tag, taxonomy, nothing real special there. But the block theme exporter is pretty nice because it lets you set up your block themes and then transfer them around really easily. Um, So there's now just an an exporter in the WordPress backend um, that will give you your theme file, um, and it'll ignore stuff like .git or node modules or vendor folders. But it will package everything mm. up into a zip file. They store the template changes. Um, they add that to the zip file. And then you mm. can take that, pick it up, move it. If a database has newer so versions would, of that, it'll honor those. Would, what would be the application of this? Is this like you're, you're migrating from one WordPress instance to another? I, th- I think the application you- of this is something similar to the patterns thing. If I build a okay. block template... Uh, or sorry, a block theme that you know might be useful. Let's mm-hmm. say let's go back to the podcast thing, and I want to be like, hey, do you want to sure. do you want to use my block theme for our our podcast post uh, custom post type? Well, here's yes. the usage of my blocks. I'll export that as a zip file, and now you can take that block theme, import it into your site, and have access to it. I you you know what I think is going on here too that's worth like acknowledging is. WordPress is kind of going through, let's call it a second puberty a little bit. (laughs) That's that's both crass, but also like very. Let's say, why are you laughing? I'm I'm serious. Like, (laughs) no, no, we're 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 in a really uncomfortable in between space where WordPress is still a PHP centric application with Mm -hmm. tons of legacy code, tons of spaghetti code. Six ways to do the same thing. Some are better than others. Some suck. Mm-hmm. While simultaneously bringing in all this JavaScript stuff, all this React stuff, all the Gutenberg stuff. Yeah. We're, we have people talking about headless applications and static site generation yeah. over GraphQL. So WordPress is kind of like at, I don't want to call it a crossroads, but it's just right. at a point of evolution and it's nowhere near done yet, but it's at a point of bakedness that you can see all of these different applications sort of coming to a head. And you can probably sure. imagine a world where 
in a couple more years, the notion of writing themes in PHP may be gone. Yeah, that's um, I I could see that definitely. Um, it's I don't know, it's sad. I get it. It's fine. It's, I mean, I don't know that it's sad. If anything, you know, for all of the, it's sad for me. For, <laughs> for all of the hate, um, that. WordPress has gotten, especially recently, you know, due to Gutenberg, mm-hmm. due to some of the internal strife that we've seen and heard about. Um, name one other content management system with the longevity, the flexibility, and the success. I mean, they're literally. Oh no! I mean, like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not hating on it. Like, I, I, I only say it's sad for me because, like, uh, like I. I guess I have rose tinted glasses thinking about like the WordPress sites they used to maintain. Um, that's all. I, I, I don't, I don't see it as a bad thing. Um, they're like moving on and like embracing new technology and that's cool. So like, I, I like to see, I'm enjoying the stuff they're creating with it. That's yeah. I mean, we're, we are 19 years, 19 yeah. years wow. of WordPress we have had. Dude. And, you know, we still, you can look around and you can still see products out there that have a little traction, like Joomla, for instance. Joomla still gets thrown around. Sure. Drupal certainly still gets thrown around quite a bit, but they're nowhere yeah. near as successful. No. Um, yeah. And never all. really have been, um, no. for the most part. Like, that that's the thing about WordPress to me at this point is, like, you people can bitch and gripe about it all they want to, but the fact of the matter is, it ain't going to go anywhere. It's, it's almost... You know, I I think about companies like Oracle, you know, like people complain about their tools and everything all the time, but they're not going anywhere. Yeah. All right. So wait, if this is WordPress's second puberty, what was their first? Um, I have I have a moment in mind that I think I would count. What's yours? uh, The first was custom post types. Okay, I was going to say when they introduced pages, that's well, that was that grew out of that or vice versa. I forget which oh, okay. I forget which came first for sure. Um, if it was the uh, page, page API pages, or custom post types, but pages was three That was like the big defining feature of three um, Yeah, as soon as WordPress started being capable of things other than a blog, right? Yeah, yeah. That was that was the thing. WordPress was a blog. The reason everything is called posts, you know, the reason why the default stuff is posts and the 2023 mm-hmm. or 2022 theme is all about just a blog is because <laughs> WordPress, its DNA has and will probably forever be linked to blogging and just simple publishing. Right. Um, so one one last uh, hit real fast and then we'll get off WordPress. The, the last thing is just uh, there's a web fonts API now. Okay. This is another one. I'm not entirely sure if this is useful or not. Um, so what they're doing, like you've always had the ability to do things like enqueue scripts and and styles, like register styles, register scripts, okay, and then enqueue them so that like they'll load in a certain order. They'll you know you can put them in the head, the foot, whatever. And so what they've okay. done is that, but for web fonts. So you can now okay in like your theme.json file or in your functions.php. Those two serve similar purposes, but just in different areas. Um. You can define your fonts, define where they live, and let WordPress include them into the site the same way they'll include your CSS and JavaScript. My thing is, okay, 
I'm probably already going to do that in my CSS. Like when I'm doing my design, cause like I do like design or rather development of design, usually outside of a system. So like if I'm building a pattern library, I'm writing pretty much raw HTML in the pattern library. And I have a partial called typography that includes my fonts and everything. And I compile okay. my SAS files. And so all of my web font stuff gets included in that. Um, Okay. So I'm not entirely sure I'm going to ever use this, I guess, is kind of my thing. Um, I don't know, because the same could be said for your styles and your scripts and stuff. Like, you could just as easily say, I'll just include my style tag literally in my, you know, header.php. <laughs> right, right. You can do that. There's no re- nothing stopping you from that, but there are good reasons to use the enqueue system. So there probably are very good reasons you would want to enqueue web fonts this way, too, but... I don't know. It just, it seems a little more granular than may strictly be necessary. But if you find a use for it, if if this is something y'all can use, let me know. Let me know how you're going to go about it. Um, But that's WordPress six. I'm sure there's a lot more than that, but that's what, uh, that's what Maddie called out. And so that's what I'm calling out. Uh, Let us know if you've already moved on to WordPress six. I'm going to be moving on to it very soon. I just haven't had a chance yet doing some server work of my own. Um, and obviously, as I have been called out on, I do still have a redesign to finish, and I know. <laughs> very, very aware. Damn, man. Uh, just let me sit in my shame. Okay, last but not least, actually very not least, this is the fun one, I think. Um, Lesser known and underused CSS features in 2022. This comes from Adrian Beche, and I apologize to Adrian in advance if I just said his last name wrong. It's B-E-C-E, and so I'm I'm taking a guess on that. I didn't go hunt down some YouTube videos or something to see if uh, he's done talks or something. Um, But this is over on Smashing Magazine. it's a long article, don't get me wrong. So if you'll read it, mm-hmm. be prepared to sit down for a bit. But it is so good. <laughs> because he really <laughs> does hit on a bunch of stuff that both feels very useful and very underused. A couple of the things I didn't even know about. Um, so are these are these features available right now? Yes, yeah. And now I didn't go through okay. like, can I use? But I'm presuming, right. like, after looking at it, I'm presuming all of this stuff is pretty well supported and i don't think he called out any particular use cases where any of these don't work um okay in fact some of these are a little old even i well let, let's start right all right so all is a css property and okay what you can do is when you like write a css selector instead of having a bunch of individual properties and you know, setting them to initial or revert or unset. If you know you just need to override the current behavior, like, you know, because you don't want it to inherit stuff or whatever, you want to start it over, you can just write a selector and just put all colon initial. And it takes all the standard uh, inheritance property values, initial, inherit, unset, revert, or revert layer. Um, Reverting layer? I didn't know was a thing. and I had to look it up huh. as, as for what it does. It, it's, he's got it written here, though. Resulting values will match a previous cascade layer 
or the next matching rule. So it basically lets you skip a layer in the cascade, which is, I don't know where I would use it, but it seems like a super cool feature. And he has okay, examples the, of all of these. In yeah, code looking pins at the code the sign right too. now. Yeah. Okay. And it helps to pull the CSS yeah. up while you're doing it as well, because um, I think by default it right. just shows you the HTML or something. Um, or rather, like, the page, the result page. Um, but yeah, uh, real slick way to, like, reset property values real easily across the board. Um, the next one might be cooler. Uh, current color. And he's got this written down, uh, often referred to as the first CSS variable. Current color is a value <laughs> equal to the element's color property. It can be used to assign a value equal to the value of the color property to any CSS property which accepts a color value. It forces a CSS property to inherit the value of the color property. So what that means is, and, and again, there's an example of this in the code pen. Um, he's got like three little alert boxes, like a, a success, a okay. warning, and an error, right? And each one of those has a color. Color dark green, color dark goldenrod, color dark red. You could use hex values. You could use your RGBA values, whatever. Um, the aside that wraps them has a border left of five pixels, solid, current color. So as a result, the aside... Oh, I got it. Yeah. I got it. The aside inherits the color of its font. Right. So you don't have to oh. like because you want the that that border is on the wrapper element. So in this case you're setting the color based on your font, but because it's the same element, you're using a class just to set that color, your current color inherits from the other selector. Brilliant. I mean it really is. Oh. It's a, it's a, a CSS variable. It's just a native CSS variable basically. So just so I understand, it's if you have like a, an element underneath another element, current color is just basically use the element of my parent. No, no, it's that element. So okay, look if you look at the HTML, like all three of these examples yeah. are asides, which get that right, first chunk. Right. But there isn't a second element going on here. It's just that each one of those also has a class. Of success, warning, or error. Oh, I see. So I see. think of it like so it's just it's like match. Yeah. So like think of it when yeah. you F twelve into like Dev Tools and you open up your okay. computed styles, right? Current yeah, color yeah. will match I, whatever I the color is for your computed styles for that element. So it has it has a um, there's an aside with class equals success, and then the CSS def property for it is um, the C success class is colored dark green, and then the aside property. Uh, the aside uh, definition has border left five pixels solid current color, and so in this case, when you have an aside with the success class, current color takes on the value of dark green. So the border, the border matches the font color. That's cool. Yeah, and to like throw back to the WordPress stuff, right? Like if you're doing anything with a site with theming, like color themes, dark theme, light right. theme, multiple color themes. Um, like different like color blindness modes, anything like that. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, you could use CSS variables as well, but 
This also is a really easy and well-supported in for making themes that inherit colors from different uh, mm-hmm. different places. So, and beautiful. The the amount of stuff, like, you, you could study CSS for years and probably never learn all this stuff. Oh, at, God, yeah. at this point. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, the next one, the next one I know about and I use actually pretty actively is counters. This is another one that like current color, um, provides something of a CSS variable that is just like a native variable. And so what you can do, this is really great for things like lists. Um, if you want to do like custom styled numbered lists or something like that. Um, Okay. Basically, all it does is exactly what it says. Oh, I see. Yeah, it, see. it literally creates a counter. Plus one, plus one, plus one, plus one. The difference being fully stylable. So if you want it to look a certain way, it's easy to do. Um, anytime, right. uh, like we've got something that I'm, I'm looking at right now where we're, we've got a, a component to build that lists out several stories but the designers want the stories to have sort of a, a counter on them, literally. They'll say, like, mm-hmm. 1 of 25, 3 of 25, 14 of 25. And I'm tempted to use CSS ah. counters on things like that uh, I get as it. we loop through them, because they want it to be styled in a very particular way. But I can programmatically know what number, you know, I'm looping through. You can do the same thing with stuff like uh, page navigation, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, anywhere where you need an incrementing number and they have some extra properties. You can do counter resets. You can reverse it. Um, you can specify what you're needing to increment. So you can have multiple counters running at once. Mm -hmm. Um, the example they have is like doing an outline. So like numbering your headers, but yeah, it, it, it took me a minute to figure out what they're doing, but they have a series of blocks and they have H2s at the top of each block. And that each of the H2s begins with, like, it says a number, dot, and then the title. Mm-hmm. And what they have is um, the article in the CSS, the article property, ha- or the article definition has a property, counter-increment, colon, articles. So I'm guessing, like, articles in this case is, like, the name of the counter, right? Yeah. And then um, and then they have a definition, article H2, colon, colon, before. And then it has content, colon, counters, parentheses, Articles referencing the counter, comma quotes dot parentheses and then dot space. So, but the end result though is that like the first heading has one dot lorem ipsum title and then the next one is two dot lorem ipsum title and so on. The so that here's the cause the thing that I like about it a lot is, and, and he makes a note of this. For example, like when he, whenever you've seen like. Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia is, I think, a good example mm-hmm. of this. Like something that's oh, very yeah. informational, yeah. very outline driven, and you have something like Figure Two Point Three, right? But you know, it's something that's being sort of actively um, edited. Stuff gets added to it, taken out of it. This gives you a way for like all of those figure numbers to mm-hmm. adjust on the fly if you add a new picture in between two of them. That right. that's where stuff like this gets really handy. Um, and it's all done then in CSS. It's no, there's no programming to do. There's no PHP. You're not juggling JavaScript variables. It's just, it's literally a design thing. And like I say, the real power being the fact that you can style them. 
So if you see like article H2 and what they do is they select the before pseudo element and then they say the content of this element is the counter value. So it passes that in. So that's where you get your 3.2 then, you know, whatever. So Hmm. uh, money, love this. Um, I've found it very useful for a number of things. Um, I encourage anybody who's doing like programmatic numbering where you need to style the numbering. Be sure to look at that. Um, This next one maybe is, I think, probably the most likely to be used. It's interaction media queries. Um, And so, like, his examples here are, you can do, because we think about media queries a lot for, like, responsive design, you know, for Mm -hmm. min width, max width. But you can also do it, like, we call them feature queries, right? You can check for support of certain features by saying, hey, does, you know, at media, and then see if a particular property exists and if it does apply certain behavior in their case mm-hmm. they're doing uh he's got like pointer fine pointer coarse hover 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 none and so based on different styles of user interaction you can make things look differently um right this is i think most useful in cases where you have like overlays in particular or things like um let's let's say as much as i hate this example a carousel <laughs> that right. you want to like change the behavior of for you know touch devices versus a mouse so fine versus coarse touch is a coarse value because your your fingertip is you know really big whereas the pointer of the mouse is very precise um, you know, can it be hovered or can it not be hovered? You know, what what is hover on a mobile device, right? Like, basically doesn't exist. Uh, we're we're getting right. there. That some phones are starting to figure out hover, but um, basically, it's just a fancier way to use media queries for behavioral checks. Okay. Um. Okay. Huh, last one. I feel like I've been talking for twelve hours. Uh. <laughs> Maybe that's just the Dalmore. Um, by the way, uh, uh, Aaron. Oh, you're nearly done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I that's... drained the bottle of Dalmore, so. You pour that into your infinity bottle. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't. Um, I almost saved the last of it for that, and then I thought, no, I'm thirsty. <laughs> um, I'm going to be bringing the infinity bottle on soon, so. I have not tasted it. <laughs> I have not tasted it since I started it, so I have no idea what I'm in for. Uh, better gradients. This, uh. This stuff is... Whoa. Oh, wait, no, I was wrong. There is another one after this, by the way. Um, actually, there's, there's oh, right, a couple right. more after this. Oh, wait, the last one's, the last one's it's, cool. Yeah. No, I, as I was saying, like, uh, we were almost done. Um, I forgot that Smashing Magazine, like, inserts breaks in their articles, and it makes it confusing sometimes. Um, better gradients. Uh, we've been using gradients on the web for a while, he writes, and they've become a staple in design. However, as Josh W. Como points out, the middle part of the gradient can sometimes look gray and washed out depending on the colors you're using. Um, so what he's got is two gradients as examples, one using just straight up RGB values, the other one using HSL values. Um, with interpolation, he says. Right. Now, here's the thing. Yes, HSL with interpolation looks way better. No question whatsoever. It's brighter. Represents the colors better. Um, 
Because color spectrums, I like what. So, Aaron, what's the difference between mm-hmm. RGB and HSL? Is that RGB is red, green, blue. HSL is hue, saturation, and lightness. Right. I think so. You yeah. end up, and I apologize if I use the wrong word here. I'm going back to color theory, which I took 15 years ago. But basically, the color <laughs> gamut that you're getting as a result of those is different. Um, HSL yes. gives you a brighter representation of color intersections, whereas RGB gives you a a, a, a additive uh, truth. This is not what I'm trying to say. But the reason it's darker and sure. muddier is because the RGB ends up additive across its its color ranges as it starts putting them yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. HSL isn't. Um, and so you end up with just different – they just math it differently. Here's I, – I can say that I, I did some color distance computation stuff for a Ruby gem that I wrote a while ago – or Ruby app that I wrote a while ago. And the – the CIE 94 algorithm, which is far more complicated math than I could explain without just pointing to Wikipedia, um, converts the stuff to HSL and then I think LAB values. And I don't remember what LAB stands for, but it's another acronym. Um, so like not working in RGB space is very common in doing any kind of color math. Yeah, yeah, and I, man, that is so outside of my mm-hmm. skill zone. Like, I use builders for all this stuff. When I need a gradient, yeah. I go get a generator. He mentions a generator that uh, Josh Como made. Um, the the thing that stands out to me about this more than anything is just that, like, mm-hmm. the quality of your gradients is most is more, to me anyway, a product of how detailed you get. And if you look at the source code for the CSS between the RGB version and the HSL version, the HSL version is significantly more detailed in its color stops than the RGB version is. Because the RGB version is basically figuring out the color range in between two colors, whereas the HSL version is figuring out the color at, like, I don't know, what is that, 15, 20 different points along the way? So yeah, it's better. Um, I think the real <laughs> takeaway from this, if you, you want any real good takeaway, is uh, the quality of your gradient will be determined by how much detail you put into, like, the generation of it. Um, because I am confident I could create an RGB gradient that would look just like the HSL one. I just would have to define a lot more stops along the gradient to to do that, so... Yeah, the the HSL definition has like uh, I think literally a million gradient stop points. I mean, it's not a million; it's like twenty, <laughs> maybe just under eighteen, nineteen, twenty, a million. I mean, what's the difference? A couple of zeros. Couple zeros. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, but it is a good example though of how different different color mappings uh, produce different results. RGBA is not HSL, is not LAB, what's- is not you know. What's a banana really cost, Michael? It, it, what? It's got to be like the cost <laughs> of gas now, right? $10. <laughs> okay. My favorite. My favorite one. My absolute favorite one. Mm-hmm. The where and is pseudo selectors. Yeah. All right. Oh, my so, God. Oh, look. And uh, Stephanie Eccles has talked in depth about these two, two pseudo selectors in her Wait, Was she the one that was telling you about your margarita? I think that's who it was. was I think it? so. I may be wrong, but I think it was. 
Uh, anyway, that's <laughs> from the start of the episode. Um, I got a, I got a green room more when I'm like having. Okay, yet. so is and where I do not use these, and I'm going to start because it, it's also kind of like it, they're like the not pseudo selector, which I do use and, and I do mm-hmm. know about, and. I think in the back of my head, I know is and where are also things, but I just don't think about them. And so their examples are, like, they have a selector that is O-L-L-I, comma, U-L-L-I. And then they have another okay. selector that's O-L-O-L, comma, U-L-U-L, comma, O-L-U-L, comma, U-L-O-L, comma. So the first one is any list item inside an O-L or U-L. The other one is basically... Any list inside another list. So that takes six lines to write all of those. Um, because they're, you know, they're doing a carriage return after each comma. You can write that in two lines using is statements. And it is so smart. So instead of having OLLI, comma, ULLI, they use a pseudo selector of colon is, parentheses, O-L, comma, U-L, L-I. And then okay. for the long one of all the nested lists, they use a pseudo-selector is, O-L, comma, U-L, space. Another is, O-L, U-L. And so it's it's basically just a sort of multiplicative pseudo-selector that says, is the thing any of these things? So you don't have to enumerate O-L, O-L, U-L, U-L, O-L, U-L, U-L, O-L. You just care about any O-L inside of a U-L, any U-L inside of an O-L, and any combination thereof. I got it. So now it's basically saying, yeah, any type of list inside of any type of list, mind blown. That is such a good way to write that. It's such a smart way to use that pseudo selector. Uh. And then, so the the where is basically doing ex- the exact same thing as the is, but what it does is, um, and he describes it here, it reduces the specificity of the expression to zero. The reason that's important, as he puts it, is it lets you, like, if you've got a, a case where some specificity is overriding a behavior, you can use a where statement to reset that instead of using something like important. Because it's designed to let the slightly more generic, it's, it's sort of the opposite of an important. It lets the more generic selector override a more specific selector. Um, that sounds dangerous when I say it that way, now that I think about it. And I don't know that I'm <laughs> going to use the where pseudo selector a lot, but I'm definitely using the is pseudo selector. Yeah. I, 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 okay, look, I would use the is pseudo selector. Um, whether or not I do use it is going to depend whether or not I remember that it exists. So I think it's awesome, but wow. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I feel like I'm rip Van Inkle with, uh, with front end because there's just, holy shit. You guys have been, I'm busy. the front end. You're the back end. That's why we work well together, man. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this, there's, there are a few more options in this article. You can go check out, um, it's over mm-hmm. at Smashing Magazine. It's lesser known and underused CSS features in 2022. Link will be in the show oh, notes. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. There's, there's like three Dude. or four more. Uh, well, I mean, uh, look, scroll padding, font rendering options. Scroll padding's real Create- useful if you have sticky headers. I'm just going to throw yes. that out there. Create stacking context with isolate. 
Um, Control your Z yeah. index. There's there's a mm-hmm. bunch. Um, so render performance optimization. Yeah, this is really of cool. all the articles I've read about like stuff you should be using in 2022 or whatever. This is definitely one of the better ones, I think, because I I feel like he really did find and outline features that genuinely are useful that you don't see used very much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd agree with be that. sure to go check him out. Go check out that article. Um, let us know if you think, A, these are right, and B, what are some underused features that you like using that we should be sharing? Um Send us an example. I'll, I'll throw it up on our Instagram or, or Twitter or something like that. I'd love to see kind of what you guys are doing there. I hope you learned something today. I always enjoy going for the three furs. It gives me a chance to stretch my brain out, hit a few things, change up the, the pattern of, of our discussion a little bit, but cover a lot of ground. So, um, A, <laughs> how do you feel about Microsoft IE being dead finally? The truth is, it's been dead for a while. We all know it's been dead for a while. It's just that it finally ha- has had end of life. End of life has now been triggered. There will be no security it's, updates. There's no more nothing coming. So, Yeah, it's been in the retirement home for a while. For are, sure. are you going to be upgrading to WordPress 6? Um, if so, what features mm-hmm. are you looking forward to? And then obviously, what other CSS features are out there that you use that you think other people should be using? Let us know. We would love to hear about any of those things. Definitely. Uh, come and check. Uh, look, I'm gonna do Discord first. Come to drunkenux.com/slash. He, he has been spamming our, our channel while we have been talking. Yeah. So I put on the the Dolly image that I had forgotten about that I just added was the Pope skating on a skateboard viewed through a fisheye lens. If you've ever seen a skateboarding video shot by like skateboarders, where they have like the shot where the skateboarder approaches from the left, gets real close, and then goes off to the right has a shot through a fisheye lens. That's the view they're going for here, but it's the Pope on the skateboard. I don't know. You got to see it, man. Like just come drunkenewx.com slash discord. It's in the general channel. Come check it out. There's a bunch of others. If you have your own Dolly images, please share them. This is like my favorite internet thing that I've seen in a very long time. And they, the images make me extremely happy. Um, so I would be happy to see the stuff that you I mean, my goal is to make Dolly. them as creepy as humanly possible but maybe that's just me I just I love the <laughs> surrealism aspect of it um uh and then uh you could also eat the madhouse on twitter or facebook.com slash drunken ux um or uh, I mean I I don't know I don't know how Instagram is going to get us more Dolly images, but you can see stuff that we've made. Well, maybe we'll Ooh. put up a couple of. Yeah, no, there. we need to make some some web based Dolly images. I mean, that's all that means. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that, and we'll put them up on Instagram.com slash podcast. Um, and then, as always, please consider if you have enjoyed the show, um, checking us out at drunkenux.com slash support which will link you to our Patreon, and we use all Patreon money towards transcripts. And scripties. Um, we're trying to put, I guess we're putting your money where our mouth is, but it's also a little bit of our money too. But transcripts are important, and we know they're important, but like to get them done correctly, you got to shell out some and money. that was also a pretty funny joke, so I just want to make sure you get credit for that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, I hope you enjoy this. I hope you're going out and doing your own Dolly stuff. Uh, keep up with all the news. Um, I use a website called webdesignernews.com. I really enjoy that. It's kind of like a fire hose feed of just a lot of curated and voted on uh, web 
based articles, design, UX development. It's where I get a lot of these posts from that we use for these episodes, so go check them out. Shout out to whoever runs Web Designer News, because you guys are great too. Um, shout out to everybody who wrote articles, Mashable, um, Mattia Osman over at 20i.com, and uh, certainly Adrian over at Smashing Magazine. You guys are all fantastic writers, uh, incredible like educators, and we appreciate everything you do, and we're happy to stand on your shoulders and share your content with other people uh, because at the end of the day, uh, we love doing that. We love using our voice. We love being the guy on the other side of the microphone, baby. Uh, uh, <laughs> I get told a lot about my radio voice, and I uh, have only one thing that I say to them, and that's, hey, as long as you keep your personas close and your <laughs> users closer, you're listening to the Rainbow Station 97.5 KMOD Tulsa. <laughs> See ya. See ya.